I'm Warren Smith, and today you'll be listening in on my conversation with singer, songwriter, novelist, and now television producer, Andrew Peterson. I want to make known the deeds of the Lord among the nations. My way of doing that is with songwriting for many years, and then the books happen, and like that's another way of trying to be obedient to that calling, and now the television thing, the rabbit room is another one of those. So for me, the experimentation is less about pushing my music in new directions. It's more about... I'm just curious about coming out all this stuff from different angles. If you're a regular listener of Listening In, you know that Andrew Peterson has been a regular guest. This is the fourth time he's been on the program since we began in early 2014. And we repeated one of those episodes as part of a best of series we did a couple of summers ago. So the bottom line is that Andrew Peterson has been on Listening In more than any other guest. We keep having him back because he continues to do interesting and excellent work. And because in some ways he embodies what we try to showcase here at Listening In, which is to thoughtfully engage as whole human beings all aspects of what it means to be made in the image of God, living our lives before the face of God. Andrew Peterson has now added television producer to his long list of accomplishments. His award-winning four-volume fantasy series, The Wingfeather Saga, has been turned into an animated series that had its red carpet premiere in Nashville on November 16th and is being distributed by Angel Studios, the same studio that released the wildly popular program, The Chosen. It releases on Angel's streaming service on December 2nd. Andrew Peterson is also the founder of an artistic community in Nashville and online called The Rabbit Room, which produces events, publishes books, and provides community for working artists and those who love art and the creative process. I had this conversation with Andrew Peterson via Zoom. He spoke to me from his home just outside of Nashville, and you can listen in on that conversation in just a moment. Now We Live invites and equips Christians to propel faith into action. This free worldview Bible study will spark rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions. These six videos from Summit Ministries offer life-on-life discipleship for churches, small groups, and families. Get free access today at summit.org slash listening in. Andrew, it is always great to see you, and I've got so many things I want to talk about with you that uh, we are definitely going to need to prioritize. So let's let's start with, I guess you could say, the most important, most recent thing, and that is the Wingfeather animated series. After years, it's coming to fruition. How does that feel? It feels profoundly satisfying. It has been a long, hard journey, and uh, and you know, here we are. We're about to you know, it's like we've had this present wrapped up in a package and we're about to give it to the people and let them unwrap it on December 2nd. And so I, I am so I'm like bouncing up and down with excitement. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I've seen the first episode, and congratulations. It's uh, really you. remarkable, and uh, I, you know, I know you've just got to be super happy with it. And we've talked before, uh, even on this podcast. Of course, you and I have spoken some offline, but we've also talked on this podcast about the process. But uh, Winston Churchill has this <laughs> saying about writing a book that you know it starts off as a passionate love affair, and it you know ends up being um, a hate that you want to murder. And uh, when you're writing a book, I'm wondering how that was with the animated series, because, you know, you had lived with this story for 10 years. Now you're having to live with people who you're having to kind of give your baby to and just, you know, hope and pray that it was going to come out the way you wanted it to come out. I know you, you worked with people you trusted. In fact, I've had Chris Wall, Neil Harmon, and others on the podcast before. But um, was that hard or was that easy? Did you find that a new skill that um, you had to learn? Uh, there has been a lot that I've had to learn in this process. Um, but the, you know, like you said, working with people who you trust makes that way easier. And, and I think it was something that I learned just from being a singer songwriter, like being here in town. And I remember my first record, which was what 1999 was when we recorded it. I had all these songs I'd written in college and just after college, that was very, very precious about. And when the producer came in, he started, you know, kind of tightening things up and dismantling some things and pushing me to make the songs better. And I was very resistant to it. And the older I've gotten, the more I've realized how foolish that position is <laughs> that it's in that case, it was more about me and my opinions than the song itself. So kind of allowing the song to move out and be objective apart from you um, allows you to make decisions that you wouldn't, if you were being really precious with it. And, you know, if the goal is not to make you feel better about yourself, the goal is to make something beautiful, then it's always just going to be better in that way. So with the wing feather saga, I mean, the writing of the books is the same. It's like, there's, so many rounds of edits and proofreaders and people that kind of like speak into it on a continuity level and all these kinds of things. So you begin to realize that this, yes, you wrote the book in a room alone for the most part, but the book is immeasurably better for every moment of collaboration along the way. And so I, I you know, I, I had good practice um, coming into it. I think the, the filmmakers were pretty wary of, of like, Oh wait, the author is going to be in the room. <laughs> and I can imagine how that would be, uh, kind of disastrous depending on the situation. But I, my hunch is that, that being a singer songwriter first had, had taught me some of those lessons. So I, I came into it a little ahead of the game and really every now and then I have spoken into it and, you know, I've got opinions. I get, I get like, I get to approve everything, you know, that comes across my quote unquote desk on the Slack channel and the character designs and certain points in the story, I get to tighten up the dialogue. I have, you know, I'm very involved in the, in the uh, editing of the scripts and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the, the great joy of it has been to see the wing feather saga as a story enter into like, um, and almost like I understand the story better now having worked through it as a visual and in, in visual media than I did when I was writing it as a book. It's almost like the story moved a little closer to its platonic form. Does that make sense? So it's like the book is one expression of the story and now we're approaching it visually and we're getting at closer to the heart of what the story actually is by coming at it from a different angle. Mm -hmm. That raises uh, so many uh, questions that we won't have time to unpack, um, Andrew, but I, I do wonder, would you, do you think you'd have written the book 
differently, knowing what you know now, if you could go back and, re, you know, revisit <laughs> it? Uh, because, you, like you said, you you do know the story better. And I think of some authors like, uh, you know, of course, this was in the nonfiction realm, but, you know, John Calvin wrote his institutes. Um, he, he published about five versions of them in, at different points in his life. And there are a lot of you know, there are some writers that will publish uh, early versions of novels and, or maybe novellas and short stories and then blow them up when they feel like they know the story better. Any thoughts of a revised Wingfeather? No, I wouldn't. You know, to me, that would be closer to like George Lucas going back and changing the original Star Wars series and how I just don't think that was a good idea. You know, right. <laughs> yep. like supposedly you can't even find the version we saw when we were young. Um, because he's gone back and changed it. And so he's got every right to do that. It's his story. Um, but I'm, I'm a little more willing to just kind of like let it stand as it is there, you know, there, I can see myself mature as a writer over the course of the series. And that's not a big surprise, but the, yeah, I, I just think that it's, it's, um, it is what it is. And it's, um, artifact of your development and, yeah. And then there's something about going into, so, so like, for example, when I was writing the books, I had a very vague sense of where the story was headed. I, I had a hunch of about what the ending was going to be. I knew some backstories of people. And as I wrote the, all those things come into sharper and sharper focus. And you know what it's like, you've written a novel, like you get to the end and in, in one sense it's, it isn't a surprise because you found your way to it. And then in another sense, you, you can look back at it and see that the story was, had a mind of its own, all that stuff. Yeah, right. So the cool thing about coming into the series is we know the end of the story now, right? Like, like we're getting to retell a, a version of on the edge of the dark sea of darkness, book one with a very clear picture in mind of exactly where the story is going. So in, in some senses, like when I see the, you know, we just revealed the movie poster uh, or, or we finally finished it. And I see Janner Igaby and Kalmar Igaby or Tank and Lily. And I know now exactly where their story is going and the pain they're going to endure and the losses they're going to experience. It is almost heartbreaking. <laughs> and, and I didn't know that stuff when I was writing the story, I was like, yeah, things are going to be hard, but, now that I know the characters as intimately as I do. So the, that, what that means is it allows us in the visual format with the te television series to, uh, it informs the way we're handling certain scenes, you know, sure. uh, Poto's reaction to something like the sea dragons. Now that I know very well why he has this problem with the sea dragons, it, it allows us to like flesh that out on screen in a way that we couldn't have if we were just making it up as we go. Right. Uh, I want to pivot a little in our conversation, Andrew. As I said, I have a lot of things I want to talk to you about. And one of the things I want to talk about is, uh, you know, how how this has changed your career. You know, we have already talked about, you know, how you have changed and grown and had to develop new skills, you know, over the course of uh, putting out the Wingfeather animated series. But it seems to me that... Um, and I want you to react to this, uh, it, it, that it has sort of changed the trajectory of your career. I mean, you, as you said, you started out as a singer-songwriter, and uh, you're still doing that, I guess. Well, you haven't, uh, no, I don't, whenever I say this out loud, I don't know whether you want to jump through the screen and hit me or whether you or not, but you haven't had a new album in a few years other than um, you contributed to the Randy Stonehill tribute album. You contributed to the Rich Mullins uh, tribute album. But on the other hand, you've written this amazing book, Adorning the Dark, which, by the way, my copy is really raggedy here. <laughs> I've read it several times. I just think it's a really remarkable book. You've, you know, done the wing feather thing. The Rabbit Room has exploded in growth over the last few years. Um, uh, I mean, are you going to go back to being a singer-songwriter at some point, or um, has this changed the trajectory of your life and career? Uh, good question. I... 
I, this has happened pretty consistently over the years with my music career. I often fall in and out of love with music. You know, the road took its toll on me. Uh, you know, like I, just traveling constantly uh, wore me out in many ways. And I think, you know, 2020 kind of lockdown year for COVID was a year of like where a lot of people kind of like took some stock and woke them up to some crazy things. And so for me, it was just looking back and going, man, I have traveled so much. And there's a part of me that's like, did you travel too much? You know, did you miss too much time with your kids or your family, or your community? And, and, you know, I'm not dwelling on that too much because I, I, you know, I, it is what it is. But at the same time, I, I, we, I'm almost 50. So you look at the, it forces you to look forward and go like, what are the next 15 years of my life? What should they look like? And what do I want them to look like? Which is only one of the questions. The other question is, what does the Lord want it to look like? And that's the, that's the real question. But uh, music is one of those things where like I can go weeks on end without playing my guitar or playing the piano. And then one day I'll hear a song on the radio and everything in me wants to like sit down and write 10 songs. You know, <laughs> I just kind of forget. And then the magic stirs and I go, oh my goodness, songwriting is amazing. Why would I not do this every day? Um, yeah. So all that to say, I, I'm really enjoying the process of working on the Wing Feather Saga, the book writing. I've, I'm under contract for a couple more books and um, I'm excited about writing those. I'm enjoying being home more. And, and at the same time, just the other day, my son, Asher, who's a record producer, amazing producer, he texted me <laughs> just out of the blue and said, hey, you want to make some music this year? which is like the greatest thing your, your son can ask you. It's like, I almost cried when I saw it because I was like, that sounds amazing. And you know, my daughter is a singer songwriter. She's touring. My other son is a visual artist. So there's a lot of fun opportunities to work with my kids that who knows what will happen. But what I, all I know is that when Asher texted me that I could picture myself in the studio with him doing some fun experimental stuff. And I got very excited about it. So I've just got a lot of stuff on my plate. I got to take care of first. Well, if and when that uh, moment happens, when you go back into the studio, do you have songs written? I mean, I, I know a couple of years ago, Andrew, uh, we spoke um, uh, after I can't even now remember which album it was came out, and you said you went into the you said you often went into the studio with a lot of songs and kind of with pre production stuff, you know, kind of knowing where you were going, but then this one album. And uh, maybe it was Life of the Lost Boy. I don't remember now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was that one. And uh, you, you said, man, I just had nothing. You said you went to the studio and just said, I had nothing. But, but I think that's one of your best albums. I mean, uh, well, so you. do you, when you go back in, are you going to have songs? Or is it, are you just going to go in yeah. and let, let the creative process take its course? I have, only, I have only written one song since lockdown. Honestly, Izzy Worthy is one of the very last songs that I wrote um, because it was it was the I can't remember for sure, but it was one of the last songs that I wrote. And, you know, we've been doing the Resurrection Letters tour and, and getting to sing those songs. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he And I, I was just talking to Andrew Osenga, who's a great singer-songwriter, and we were doing, he was doing a thing in the round uh, at Northwind Manor, and I was like, he played an old song. And I was like, hey, have you gotten to the point where you realize how wonderful it is to have old songs? And he kind of laughed. And, and, you know, I was thinking about when I see James Taylor in concert, 
I like I'm not I mean I'm glad that he's still writing songs but I just really want to hear him sing Sweet Baby James you know yeah sure. and so there's a when you're a young artist it's all about like oh man I want to I want to do the new thing I've got to have a new album out and uh, once you've got a catalog and you reach a certain age you realize man there's such a joy in going out and just singing old songs some of which people you know most a lot of the people that know my music found it in the last few years and so the old songs are new songs to them and so yeah. i don't i don't mind that so much i I'm, i hope that i will write songs the last song i wrote was called you know white man's lament for the death of god's beloved well, there are things i've done that need to be forgiven but i'm still learning how to ask because the virus in my veins has been contained by this inherited mass and ever since then i've just been working on books and the TV show. Well, I, I appreciate that very much, and I certainly love your old songs. I mean, before we turn the song, we were talking about a song I think off your first album, um, uh, "Nothing to Say." Was that was that your first? That was your first, you know, kind of big yeah. album. And I, you know, it's one of my favorite songs. And of course, going back to "Dancing in the Minefields," but I also love, you know, "Is He Worthy" as well. But you know, one of the things that I, and, and, to me, what's interesting about what I just said is that those are songs that span a twenty-year period. I mean, you know, you, you, "Nothing to Say" is what ninety-nine. 2000, somewhere in that range, and dancing in the minefields around 2010. And we said our vows and took the leap now 15 years ago. And we went dancing in the minefields. You know, Is He Worthy was a hit just, you know, a year or two ago. And um, one of the things that I really respect and appreciate about a band, you know, like U2, for example, is that compared to, say, the Rolling Stones, you know, you look at the Rolling Stones uh, to the extent that they're doing concerts. They're the Rolling Stones of today is essentially a cover band of the Rolling Stones <laughs> of the 1970s. Whereas, you know, you, a U2 concert is, you know, they're playing the hits, but they're also it's fresh, it's new. There's something yeah. vital mm-hmm. about the band today. I mean, did you have any aspirations along those lines? I mean, who do you want to be? Do you want to be the the Rolling Stones <laughs> or U2? You know? I would rather be U2. You know, Paul Simon to me is a good example of that. Yeah, exactly. That's a be- that's probably a better example. Yeah. His last few records were amazing. Yeah, right. Agreed. Surprise was is just an an astonishing album. He was, you know, wrote it when he was like seventy or something. And and there's a part of me like you know Graceland even was this like really outside of the box kind of experimental way of making an album, and it end up ends up becoming one of the great albums of all time. And so I lo- I love the fact that there's this spirit of curiosity in him, you know, and they all still sound like Paul Simon songs, but at the same time that you can you can hear him experimenting and trying to find something. And I think that if I was only a singer songwriter, I would probably be doing that. But my version of experimenting is trying new, new ways of getting at the same thing. So like when, when I'm writing songs, my goal, you know, was always to like try to uh, use the gifts that I have to build God's kingdom in whatever way that looks like. I want to make known the deeds of the Lord among the nations. Mm, And so my way of doing that is was songwriting for many years and then the books happen. And like, that's another way of trying to be obedient to that calling. And now the television thing, the rabbit room is another one of those. So for me, the experimentation is less about, um, you know, pushing my music in new directions. It's more about, I'm, I'm just curious about coming out all this stuff from different angles. That's a beautiful way to say it. And of course, I pick up a lot of that in your uh, in Adorning the Dark as well, that it's about it's about giving glory to God and serving other people rather than, you know, b- being about yourself. I pick that up in, you know, virtually everything that you've done. And that causes me to want to pivot just a bit since you mentioned Rabbit Room and um, and Northwind Manor is 
fairly new, I guess you could say. Uh, I remember you and I walked, uh, you know, when it was still under construction, we kind of walked through it and <laughs> careful to make sure we put our feet on the floor joist so we didn't fall through. And and I visited, um, you know, a few months ago and it's completed and gorgeous and beautiful and you're holding events there. Um, is that becoming um, more and more central to your life because I know you live near there as well. Is that uh, a good thing, a bad thing, um, a new thing? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it feels like we're, we're fumbling along trying to figure out exactly what the Lord wants us to do with the place. So here's an example. I, I have a friend named Mark who um, got into beekeeping and, and I'm a beekeeper too. So we, we often will fall in after church. We'll stand there talking about bees and whatever. And, uh, and at some point I asked him how he got into it. And he said, Oh, it was when we moved to this house and my wife and I had their first little square foot garden. And he said that that was the impetus for, they, they had room for the garden, I think. And he said that made us start to compost. And he said, we started composting and then we put the, you know, the compost pile, we started seeing pumpkins growing out of the compost pile, which was fascinating. And he started growing other things. And then that, that made him interested in pollinating. And then he was, a beekeeper next thing you know and so he, he was like tracing the line he was like the place that we moved was the thing that told us what the next thing was going to be does that make sense so yeah. the place he found himself suggested to him what the next move was um and i kind of love that idea that that um you know you look around and you ask yourself okay what is like this place is sacred this is a place that is the Lord has made to be sacred and it has its own story. And how do I engage with the telling of the story of this place? And so I think that's where we are with Northwind Manor. Like we built it as an extension of the ministry of the rabbit room uh, with the help of a, a huge community and, and the hope that that place is just going to be there for the next 200 years. And that it'll be a part of the story of Nashville, a part of the story of uh, the kingdom of God. And so that said, you know, we built it holding very loosely to what our, uh, what was going to really happen there. And so we're still figuring it out. We just had a meeting uh, last week about 2024 and what the uses of the manor were going to be and want it to be a generous place of hospitality for people. We have open hours on Wednesdays. So anybody who wants can drop in uh, on Wednesday afternoons and and the head of hospitality over there, Rachel, she makes the most amazing scones and, and people come and they just sit by the fire. We're on the back deck and people will work and connect, you know, it's a gathering place for those people. Uh, we have the local show, which is an in the round show that happens once a month. Uh, there is a film night that we're talking about doing like film and discussion, that kind of thing. There is, I'm trying to think what else we, there's a, a Walter Longren lecture series that we want to get off the ground. Walt Longren jr. Is one of our, was one of our close friends and a, a hero to some of us. And, uh, he was very close to the rabbit room. We had the honor of publishing some of his books and he died last year. So we've been, uh, we're going to try to create a lecture series so that people can come and learn and grow together in that way. So there's all kinds of things that can do. And, and the truth of it is though, that, that it's still a nonprofit, you know, we, we don't have bukus of money. Like it's a small staff and they work really hard to love, love the people well. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm learning what it is that the Lord wants me to do here. 
Yeah, uh, Andrew, I know we don't have a lot of time left, but I, I hope you'll forgive me uh, for pivoting one more time. Uh, we've talked about your kids a little bit, and uh, I, I wanted you to say a little bit more about that, but um, if you're willing and able, uh, obviously, you know, when family stuff is a little sensitive, and but your kids are older, they're you know, and they're and they're forging out in the world. And I want to uh, Sky in particular. Uh, she um, recently did a song with the Gettys that was um, so well received. I mean, it was just a beautiful that she wrote or co-wrote, I think. Did she write it or co-write it? She co-wrote it, yeah. It was just such a beautiful song. And you mentioned your son, who's a, a producer. And um, I mean, now that you're at a certain stage in your life and your kids are you know, following their own calling, but that particular giftedness and that particular calling, at least in your, the case of your kids, is somewhat aligned with who you are. Has that changed the relationship with your kids? How, how does it feel now giving advice to your kids in some of the same things that you had to go through 20 years ago, um, do you say, here's what I learned? Or do you say, kid, you got to go work this out for yourself? <laughs> uh, honestly, it's neither of those. It's mostly just commiseration. Like they're, they're at the age where they're experiencing some of the, you know, the, the great joys, but also the complicatedness of trying to figure out how to make a career work with a family and as an artist, you know, as a self-employed musician or whatever or visual artist, And a lot of it is just like, it feels like they're moving closer to just being friends of mine. And so when they, and, and, you know, part of it is that the industry, both Aiden's industry, which is in animation and book illustration, like that's something that I'm not, it didn't grow up knowing. So I, I'm learning from him how that stuff works. But with the other two who are more in the music world, yeah, the landscape is so different. When young songwriters are like, what can I do to start getting my career off the ground? I have no idea what the answer to that question is mm -hmm. in 2022. And it's completely different uh, than it would have been when I was growing up. So I, most of it is just like, you know, uh, empathy. And uh, we get to sit around and, and talk about how difficult it is to try to figure this thing out. It was hard for me back in the late 90s, and it's hard for them now. Um, and so what a fun thing, though, to be able to be intimately familiar with the emotional toll that this stuff takes, you know, and uh, I'm so thankful that they, that we get to talk about this stuff together. I'm learning a lot from them, to be honest. You've been listening in on my conversation with Andrew Peterson. Andrew Peterson has written the four-volume Wing Feather Saga, hundreds of songs, and two nonfiction books about community and the creative process. One of those books, Adorning the Dark, was one of World Magazine's Books of the Year in 2019. He's now a television producer with the release of the new animated series based on his Wing Feather books. And that brings me to one of the program notes I want to mention before we go. To hear my previous interviews with Andrew Peterson going all the way back to 2014, just go to the World News Group website and type his name into the search engine. I especially recommend that very first interview. I interviewed Andrew in a Starbucks near his home. It's the same Starbucks where he wrote most of the Wingfeather saga. It's a pretty special place and a special interview. You can also find interviews with other artists in Andrew's orbit who have been associated or maybe in some cases are currently associated with The Rabbit Room. They include Randall Goodgame, The Slugs and Bugs Scott, 
Ellie Holcomb, Alan Levi, Douglas McKelvey, who wrote the Every Moment Holy uh, series of books, and Jonathan Rogers, who's written one of the best biographies of Flannery O'Connor that I've ever read. You can find these interviews in the same way. Just go to the World News Group website and type their names into the search engine. Also, I want to mention that Listening In comes to you from World News Group, and this program is just one of the many products, print, podcast, and other digital content that come with a world subscription. To find out more, visit wng.org slash subscribe. Tune in next week to hear my conversation with Todd Stiefel. Todd Stiefel is one of the nation's most prominent atheists. He's also a philanthropist who has poured millions of dollars into atheist and progressive organizations. We recently had a, shall we say, lively conversation about his beliefs and activism, and we'll bring that conversation to you next week. The producer for today's program is Paul Butler. He's also the executive producer for World Radio. Johnny Franklin is our technical producer, and we get technical assistance from Lillian Hammond. I'm your host, Warren Smith, and you've been listening in. Now We Live invites and equips Christians to propel faith into action. This free worldview Bible study will spark rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions. Watch Summit Ministries' worldview video series for free at summit.org slash listening in. These six videos from Summit Ministries offer life-on-life discipleship for churches, small groups, and families. Get free access today at summit.org slash listening in.